The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki Season 2. Now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. How are you now? <laughs> Ooh, dare I ask? No, I really want to know. How are you now? How are you doing? It was trade deadline day. And um, it didn't go the way that we thought it would, did it? And then the Habs played. And they lost. 3-2 to two to the Anaheim Ducks. Hello and welcome to episode uh, 62 of the Bottom 6 Minutes podcast presented by Habs Eyes and the Prize. I am Matt Drake. And before I even get into the recap, I want to talk about the the deadline just a little bit. All right, And not necessarily the deadline itself because the Habs really didn't do anything. But more what I saw from the Habs fan base on Twitter thereafter and during the entire day really. Um, there's one rule on this fucking team, right? ELE. What does ELE stand for? Everybody love everybody. It's right up there on the wall. Right? Everybody love everybody. We're all fans of the same team. No matter what it is that you want this season, if you want to see the team lose every single game and trade every single player, or if you want to see them win every single game and keep every single player, we're all cheering for the same thing. At the end of the day, we all want the same thing, which is for this team to eventually win the Stanley Cup. So I'm somewhere in the middle here. I want to speak to both sides. Number one, people who are really upset about this trade deadline and are feeling like they're ready to walk away from the team because they're you know pissed off that Kent Hughes didn't make a lot of moves. I would say this, right? Maybe Kent Hughes didn't make a lot of moves because he wasn't getting the right offers and he's willing to wait until the draft. We saw him at the last draft. He was pretty active, right? So I, I think you got to kind of take a step back and look at the roster, look at how many injuries there's been and ask yourself, honestly, was he in the most advantageous negotiating position? I think the answer is probably not, right? Now to the other side, to the people who are, like I've seen some of this on Twitter today of people saying to other fans, wow, if you're pissed off at the team, like you're not a real fan, you don't get to tell anybody how to be a fan. That's just a fact. People are going to be a fan their own way. Um, some people are going to be more pissed off than others, and you got to let them do that. You know, I think maybe some of them are a little bit more pissed off than they need to be, but you know what? You got to let them do it. Everybody cheers for the team in their own way, and you know, if you're going to gatekeep it, and you're, like you're you're taking all the fun out of being a hockey fan. Right, you don't decide who's the biggest possible Habs fan. If anybody's the biggest Habs fan, it must be me because I have the logo tattooed on my chest. So I win. If it's a competition, I win. You all lose, and that's the end of the argument. Right? <laughs> See how silly that sounds? It's not an argument, right? We're all Habs fans. We all want the same thing. Let's just hope that you know this deadline was not indicative of 
apathy by management that they do intend on making some moves. I, I'm choosing to believe that it is not indicative of apathy and that it's more indicative of they didn't get the right offers that they needed. Their biggest trade pieces were all injured leading up to the deadline. Sean Monaghan hasn't even played yet. When's the last time we saw him? Joel Edmondson played one game the day before the deadline. Like, if if anything, Kent Hughes might have made a trade that he regretted because he needs like he, he needs more activity out of those players before he can really get anything, you know? I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't in the room, so I, I'm, I'm, I have no idea. But um, I guess I got to get to the game, right? Uh, I, th- I think I've probably spent enough time on the deadline so far. We'll talk about it a little bit at the other end of the, re- uh, of the recap. The game sucked. The game sucked. Um, this was, again, another game very similar to the, what was it, the second period last night where I felt like nobody was really trying to actually win. Um, I felt that throughout the majority of this game against the Ducks. But very early in the first period, the Habs looked like they were about to run away with this thing. Super early, Mike Matheson gets a shot on goal. It trickles through the wickets of John Gibson. And Jonathan Drouin is right there to tap it in. It was going in all on its own. But, you know, the same thing happened earlier in the season with Josh Anderson tapping in a goal that should have been Jonathan Drouin's. So we're not going to fault him for that. He gets his first goal of the season, and it's one nothing for the Montreal Canadiens. But a couple of minutes after that, all of the sensation that I had where I was like, well, maybe the Montreal Canadiens are going to run away with this and we're going to get a blowout win. It evaporated. Maxime Contois comes in on the right wing, uh, kind of throws the puck into the middle, and Jason Megna, I don't even know how to pronounce his name, I think it's Megna, (laughs) puts it in right in front of the net, makes it 1-1. From there on out, it was kind of back and forth uh, for the remainder of that period. But in the dying seconds of the period, we had a bit of a scary moment for Montreal Canadiens fans. Caden Gooley is kind of starting a breakout in his own end, right near the outside hash marks in his own zone. And he kind of braces for a hit. Maxime Contois is coming in to hit him. And they collide, and nobody goes down. It's, it seems like a pretty routine hit. But Caden Gooley comes up from that, clutching his shoulder, his right shoulder to be specific, uh, goes straight to the room. Fuck this season from an injury standpoint, he looks worse for wear. He looks like, I'm looking at that and I'm saying this guy's not coming back tonight. Um, Thankfully, he did come back in the second period. Um, He played maybe four shifts, so I think he was feeling a little worse for wear. It could have just been a stinger, but I will say this, and, and I'll talk about it a little bit more at the other side of the recap, but I hope if he's feeling any worse for wear that they hold him out for the rest of the season. Like, do not be putting this guy on the ice. He's super important to the rebuild. Do not be putting him on the ice if there's any risk of re-aggravation of that injury. The last thing that we need is to have another player aggravate an injury multiple times and end up making it worse than it needs to be. Do not risk him any further. But I digress. Thankfully, he came back in the second period, but less than thankfully, the second period was a wet fart. It sucked. Anaheim ended up, like the Habs were leading in shots and probably scoring chances as well, at least by my count, for the for the first period. In the second period, Anaheim kind of took over and they, they moved ahead on the shot clock. They probably moved ahead in the scoring chance clock as well, but it sucked. It was just not a good period of hockey. It really felt like two teams that were kind of tentative, um, not sure of themselves, very lacking confidence, and um, 
lacking any puck luck on either side, really. Um, John Gibson and uh, Samuel Montembeau played well in net for both teams during that period. And we go into the third with the score 1-1. And the third is more of the same for the most part, but just past the midway point. Chris Tierney takes a brutally silly tripping penalty, just a super obvious one right in front of the ref. And the Ducks get a power play, and it hurts. Trevor Zegras passes the point up to Cam Fowler at the point. He goes over to the other side to Mason McTavish, the player that most of you will probably remember as an absolute ace for Canada at the World Junior Championships not so long ago. And he claps one through everybody and makes it 2-1 to one for the Ducks. And then very shortly after that, Josh Anderson goes to the box. This time, it was a bit of a bullshit holding call. Um, I don't feel, I feel like that was a bit ticky-tack, but they called it. He goes to the box, and this time it's Jakob Silferberg. Puck kind of bouncing around, finds him right in the doorstep, just outside of the crease, and he puts it in past Montembeau and makes it 3-1. to one. You're feeling like at this point the game's over, right? There's no way the Habs are coming back, but wait. 30 seconds left on the clock. Habs are in the offensive zone. They've got Montembeau out of the net. They've got the extra attacker on. And Christian Dvorak tries a shot on goal. He kind of flubs it through traffic. But it finds its way to Nick Suzuki at the side of the net. He handles that one and just deposits it. Real easy one for him. Makes it 3-2. 30 seconds on the clock. But the Habs can't even get set up. And that's the end of the game. 3-2 is your final. One for the tank. Definitely one for the tank because Anaheim is the team that's behind the Habs right now. So this moves them up a little bit. And, um, you know, if things end up getting close heading to the end of the season, there's, what, 20 games left for the Habs. This game could end up being a big part of maybe moving them up a little bit. If the Ducks win the right games, you know, and the Habs lose the right games, this could have an impact on the draft lottery odds. So, I guess Tank Nation, let me talk to you for a minute. We've been doing this for a little while now, haven't we? Um, you got to be feeling good about that one, right? It's a team behind them in the standings. We're post-deadline. They didn't make any moves. If you were upset about the fact that they didn't make any moves and you're thinking, well, they kept all the veterans, so now they're going to end up winning games that they don't need to win, and then they're going to ruin their draft lottery odds well ahead of time, well, clearly... Uh, this team is not good enough to, you know, win consistently anyways. And their next game is against the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. So I don't think, at least if they bring the same effort that they brought against the Ducks, I think that next game against the Golden Knights could be a very ugly blowout. I hope that's not the case. I hope they bring a better effort. Uh, I do kind of hope they lose, if I'm being perfectly honest. I know that sounds horrible coming out of my mouth to say that I hope that the Habs lose. But... Uh, at this point in the season, we got to start looking at the draft lottery odds. So I'm slowly but surely coming around to Team Tank or Tank Nation, as it were. Now, I got to get back at this point. I finished the recap. I got to get back before I give you your silver lining of the night to the whole Twitter drama that was going on earlier today. Like, it was rough out there. So that's that's the rule that I want us to have. Right, Everybody love everybody. E-L-E. There's no need for us all to be you know, going after each other and trying to police how people decide to be fans. I really think it's important for us to understand that different people 
cheer for the team in different ways and different people have different ideas about how the team should operate. And finally, the one idea I didn't mention earlier is that all the trades that you think they should make or that you think they shouldn't make, guess what? They're not always reality. Have you seen some of the trades that are happening in the NHL this season? Did you see the fucking Tanner Janot trade? Did you guys see that trade? Did you guys see what Tampa gave up for Tanner Janot? I know you did. You saw that trade? If you came to me, you know, a, a week before that trade, and you said, this is what they're going to get for Tanner Janot, I would slap you in the face, and I would think that you just insulted me. Because the only way that you could believe that I would believe that that was a realistic return for Tanner Janot is if you think I'm a complete fucking moron. So... Again, I say, the trades that you think should happen or would happen, they don't exist. We, we live in a world where NHL GMs make trades that completely defy any sense of logic, any sense of hockey analytics, any sense of hockey eye test. There's, there's so many trades like that. Like the Habs today, just take the Habs today, right? What's the one move that they made? Well, they got a fifth round pick for retaining part of Nick Bonino's salary in the trade between the Sharks and the Penguins, right? They also got Adam Engstrom's D partner in uh, in Finland, or Sweden, rather. And uh, <laughs> the Sharks got a seventh-round pick. So the Penguins, in order to acquire a player that they wanted, gave more to the team that was just the second retention team than the team that actually held the contract of the player that they wanted. That's ridiculous. I'm not trying to say, oh, the Habs win the deadline because of that. I'm just saying, look at that trade. It doesn't make any sense to me. It's weird. That's the kind of market that we were dealing with. And maybe Kent Hughes wasn't getting the offers that he wanted. And he said, well, you know what? I'm going to stand pat and uh, I'll take a re- I'll take a redo at this when we get closer to the draft or maybe on draft day. I don't know. I think the key point that I want to make here is really everybody love everybody. We're all Habs fans. We all want the same thing. Let's just not fight with each other over trades that we think should have happened that didn't happen. They didn't happen. Right? We can sit here until we're blue in the fucking face and say what Kent Hughes should have done. Reality is none of us are Kent Hughes. We're not sitting in that room taking those trade calls so we don't know what he got offered if he got offered anything at all he got Gurianov Gurianov's done pretty well so far so you know what eh I'm not singing Kent Hughes's praises I'll give you that much so for the other side for the people who are upset uh, you know I'm, I'm definitely not super impressed with his deadline but I'm willing to let it play out and see what happens that's all I'm gonna say now silver lining I got to give you a silver lining, right? And it was incredibly tough for me to sit here and rack my brain for a silver lining in that particular game. That game sucked. Everything about that game sucked. I was not a fan of most performances by most Montreal Canadiens in that game. However, I will say, once again, I was impressed with Denis Gurianov. So I'm giving him the silver lining of the night. But I'll give you one more. So I know some people are probably thinking, Matt, what the fuck? 
Gurianov didn't do a whole heck of a lot in that game. Why are you giving him the silver lining? Well, listen, he had a couple of really good opportunities that he created for himself with his skating and with his puck handling. So, again, I say, this is a guy that I think if he gets an opportunity to work with Adam Nicholas a little bit, I think that he's going to be able to develop certain aspects of his game in order to fine-tune them a little bit, and I think there's going to be a legitimate you know, productive middle six player there for Montreal in the future if they do it right. I'm not guaranteeing anything because I have no idea. But if they do it right, they might be able to have a legitimate middle six contributor of the future, which is important on any cup team to have, you know, legitimate guys outside of your, you know, top six. Now, a second silver lining. Jonathan Drouin got his first goal of the season. That's just a feel-good moment more than anything. However, however, there is always the possibility that the Habs end up deciding to bring him back. Now, when I talked about Jonathan Drouin as a potential trade piece earlier in the season, I mentioned a lot of teams, maybe some contending teams, might look at him as potentially an upgrade in their bottom six. The Montreal Canadiens could look at him as a valuable piece in their bottom six. I'm not saying re-sign the guy and give him another $4 million a year or whatever. I'm saying if there was not a trade market for him and if they think that, you know what, maybe we could use him in the bottom six, maybe there's a one or a two-year super cheap deal out there for him where he gets the opportunity to go back out you know, without earning exorbitant money that he's not worth and prove himself either prove himself to the Montreal Canadiens or prove himself to the rest of the league. I think it's worth it, you know, because you're, you're either going to lose him for nothing. He's going to go sign somewhere else, and he's probably going to sign somewhere else on the cheap anyways because he's not in line for a big deal next season, no matter where he goes. What team is going to sign him to a ridiculous contract? I think the way that this season has gone for Jonathan Drouin, I think he's actually played pretty good, but the way it's gone in terms of production... He doesn't have a leg to stand on when it comes to negotiations with the Habs or elsewhere. It's going to be a cheap deal. Is anybody honestly going to sit there and tell me that you wouldn't accept if if Jonathan Drouin came into Kent Hughes' office tomorrow and said, you know what, I'll sign you uh, two years at League Min. Is anybody seriously going to say no to that? I'd say yes in a heartbeat. Because number one, you get the opportunity to maybe revisit this next year. If he does well, you might be able to trade him at the deadline or even the year after that. And if he does super well and the team ends up doing well, you hang on to him. I don't know. I don't even know if it's realistic. I'm just saying I think with the way this year has gone, he's not in line for a raise in any stretch. He's in line for a significant salary decrease and the Habs could be able to utilize a player like him in their bottom six at the right price. So, you know, this is a kind of weird roundabout way to a silver lining. I think that he's going in the right direction in terms of his production, and the Habs might be able to benefit from having a guy like him in their bottom six on a cheap contract next season if he's willing to sign it. Is it the best thing for him? I don't know. Things have not gone well for him in Montreal, so... You know, if I was him, I'd probably be looking to go elsewhere anyways. But all I'm saying is, hey, sometimes a lack of production gets you an opportunity to sign somebody at a price that they shouldn't be signed at normally. I don't know. 
I'm trying to look on the bright side. Last couple of years, I've been trying to be more positive than anything, and um, maybe, maybe that's to a fault. But uh, you be the judge. I'm going to cut it off there. We're running almost 20 minutes already. So, since soirée inconnue pour les employés de soutien, we're on Spotify. Uh, we're on Google Play. We're on Apple. I'm on Twitter at DrakeMT. Drop me a follow. I would appreciate it very much. I'm also on Substack, mattdrake.substack.com. Follow me on there. It's free, and it always will be. Thank you, as always, for listening. And, of course, à la prochaine. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.